Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. We're going to hear some truth today. We've been talking about the fact that God is our guide, and he's the best person to be a guide to us in anything, but especially when it comes to parenting. We talked about last week, remember, let's review a little bit. We talked about the fact that God's a great God guide because he knows everything about the map. He knows where everything is. He knows everywhere we're going. He's seen all the kids. He had the first kids. He's seen all the kids since. He knows what is inside of human beings. He knows, just like your mechanic knows what's going on inside your car, God knows what's going on inside in each and every human. And God's been around for a long time, and so he's not, sway, he's not swayed by all the pop psychologies and parenting strategies, even when there's a thousand at the same time and they contradict each other. God knows because he's had a bestseller for a long time called the Bible. He knows the actual way that we should interact with God's kids. I'm preaching already. You can say amen whenever you want to. Give me something in the chat. Give me a fist bump or something if you don't mind. God knows how to take us from anywhere we are to the next place we're supposed to be. So even if you're long past early parenting stages, God can still, wherever you are, however good or bad things are with your offspring, God, he's not going to undo anything that was dramatically maybe done wrong, but he can start fresh. He can start to redeem and he can start to renew in some of those areas. We talked about, and here's here's a a strange thing about parenting. Um, We talked about last week that God has made a promise to kids to all of us who are kids and every, every one of our kids and you, if you're a kid, um, that he is go- there's going to be part of his blessing, not all of his blessing, but part of his blessing is attached to our ability to honor our mother and father. That's right in the Ten Commandments. Even if they haven't done much right, much less, you know, anything right at all. He's promised, I'm going to bless you based on your ability to obey them. And so we talked about last week, parents, that, that means there's a lot on us. We want to make that easy. We don't, make, we don't make that go as easy as possible. We don't want to be one of these people that's always provoking our kids. That's always exasperating them. That's always making it really, really hard to obey. We want to say, no, instead, I want to operate in God's nurturing power. Somebody say nurture. And God's nurturing power. I don't want to always be giving them a reason to be angry at their folks or, or never be able to see the big picture. I always feel like I'm coming down on them. And then finally, we talked about the fact that God is the God who has... The kids, the first kids, and even though he's a perfect parent, they were still rebellious. <laughs> so we got to take the pressure off. You don't have to be a perfect parent. God is the perfect parent, and he's still rebellious kids. So there's, there's, it's not like you, uh, you have to have this perfect life. All you have to do is start where you are. All you have to do is say, wherever you are, I'm going to glorify God from here. Now, if you're not a parent yet, I just want to encourage you, you still need this message because we're going to learn a lot about how God parents us much more this week than last week. We're going to get a little bit theological today, okay? And when we say theology, we mean what the Bible teaches about a topic, and in particular, how God disciplines his people. We said that God is writing a story. God is an author. And one of the best things we can do to nurture our kids is we can tell them the story that they are already a part of. They're a part of God's story. They're not just part of a family story, but they're a part of God's story. And God is writing stories, not just in your life, not in my life, not just even in our family's life. God is a generational God, and God is writing a story throughout the generations. And that's why we're kind of on the hook. That's why there's a lot at stake here, because we are a link in the chain. And how we do things affects what flows down through us to the next several generations. And so we want to do it well. We want to remember that there's a special blessing on the generations that will raise their kids as best as they can 
God's not going to take away their free will as best as I can to know and love God. Now, because we're, you know, we're not a huge church, and one of the things I like about that is we can have a little bit more face-to-face interaction. So as we're going through this parenting series, if you've got some kind of a question or something you want me to talk about from the perspective of God's word or from a pastoral perspective, I always invite you, I'm going to be hanging out here after the service right down here, or you can email me at carter at fierce.church. Real easy to remember, I'm Carter, you're at Fierce, it is a church, carter at fierce.church, okay? That's, that's how you get a hold of me real, real easy. But if you have any questions you want to ask, we'll deal with them right here uh, during the message as we go. Sound like a deal? Okay, so today we're talking about how do we nurture our kids in such a way that we can bring through God's authority, somebody say God's authority, <clears throat> appropriate, respectful discipline in a way that protects them, in a way that protects their heart. How many parents think you, you probably want to protect your kids, right? That's a good idea. Well, it's not just protect them, you know, from from wild animals. There's stuff in life that we need to protect them from. And so we're going to start, we're going to go through a bunch of scripture. Now, here's, here's my promise to you. I'm not going to take any scriptures out of context, but I'm also not going to take the time to explain to you the context. We'll do that at another, another time. Just trust me, okay? You can challenge me if you want to. But we're going to go through these scriptures real fast because I'm trying to show you stuff. We're trying to see the big picture of God's story. And here's the first thing that we need to remember. God has always had a plan to renew the human heart. From the very beginning, when the first humans were infected with the virus, we know a lot about viruses these days, when they were first infected with the virus of sin, God wanted them to understand. He spoke through the prophet Ezekiel. He said this, I will give them a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. He was trying to tell them, the problem is not just that you sin. The problem is that you have the disease or the virus of sin. The problem is that you want to not obey me a lot of the time. Even if there's times you want to obey me, there's times you don't. And that is the problem of a stony, hard heart. God says, but I promise I'm going to solve your problem, humans. I'm, someday, I'm going to give you a brand new heart of flesh. And he does that. Here's the how. Here's how he does it. He does it like how he does everything through Jesus Christ. Through the payment of the penalty that we owe because of our sin. Jesus comes and he pays it. And through Christ, by Christ, that's how God it, it, that's why it's legit. That's why he can overlook our sin and say, I'm going to give you a new heart, even though the, the, the reality for every person in this room, everybody watching online, everybody listening later on is we are all, we've got to understand, we are all treasonous creatures, okay? Meaning we have rebelled against the only innocent being. And we've told him, oh God, forget about you. I want to go my own way. And he says, I know that you don't even really know what you're doing, so I'm going to make a way back to me. I'm going to repair the breach in the relationship, and I'm going to do it via Christ. And here's what's awesome. Because he does that, the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Triune God, Holy Spirit comes, and he lives inside of us. Now we are the temple of God, and he begins this process. He goes to work. It's like, it's like the, the, the first day of the job for the contractor shows up to work. Holy Spirit's there, and he says, I'm going to begin to renovate this heart. So, so a couple things happen, okay? Legally, when you did this thing called get saved, okay, that's not a political term, but it means when you come to Jesus Christ and you say, I got no hope aside from you, Jesus. I'm, just give, I just, I'm trusting for your forgiveness. That's what I'm doing. When you do that, the Bible says you get this thing called born again, and the Spirit, he comes, he shows up for the job, and he's, he's going to start renovating. Now, what's strange is, on one hand, you were legally declared innocent. Everything you ever did wrong or ever would do wrong is now gone. It's wiped away. But practically, you know this, you're still in your body, and your body still finds ways to sin. And the Holy Spirit says, over time, I'm going to keep renovating your heart so that there's a good disease. That's a different way to say it. Now there's a good disease released in your body that's overtaking and killing the bad disease. Somebody say, glory to God. 
That's what God is doing in you. If you've trusted Christ for his salvation, that's what he's doing in you right now. So Jesus comes into our, our hearts and our lives, and, and you can see this right in Colossians 1.22. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, isn't this cool? This is right now, right now. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. You're not physically, practically maybe holy and blameless, but you are legally in God's sight. He's decided to see you as holy and blameless because he sees you through the blood of Jesus. That's awesome. He has reconciled, reconciled. that means he brought peace. He took two parties, like you go to court and there's two people that are kind of in a fight and Jesus steps in the middle and says, all right, I'm just going to reconcile this. I'm going to pay you off and I'll pull you near. Now you guys are good because of what Jesus Christ, it only happens because of the cross. And here's the deal. It doesn't happen because you go to church. It doesn't happen because you went to somebody's Bible study once upon a time, maybe in college. It doesn't happen because you got baptized. It doesn't happen for anything. It's the same way if you go to a thousand weddings, that doesn't make you married, right? The only way you get married is if you enter into an interpersonal covenant with another being. That's how you get married, okay? The way that we come to Christ is interpersonally with you and Jesus. It's not about you and me and Jesus. It's about you and Jesus. And that's where you say to Jesus, I trust you. I believe that you're going to save me from my sin and bring me into your heaven forever. Now, once the Holy Spirit has begun this process of working in the good virus, you're going to notice some things. You're going to be uncomfortable with evil. Suddenly, if it wasn't already happening, you're going to be like, wow, that that didn't used to bother me, but now there's like a eh, eh. There's a little buzzer that goes off on my insides every time I do something that he's not totally pleased with. And the reason for that is, he's like, yes, I've overlooked it, but I want you to be trained in my ways. It's like you're entering the school of the Jedi Knights. You're entering the school of being raised up into a little mini Jesus apprentice. That's what you're going to be. And as a Jesus apprentice, there's things that are just no longer, it's not that you don't make mistakes and do those things, but you can't feel comfortable with it anymore. That's why it says in Romans 6.1, what shall we say then? Or would he continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? In the early 2000s, many of you remember this. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a big deal. Suddenly you could download songs. Before, when I was a kid, you had to go to the music store at the mall and you had to get like the cassette or the CD. That was a big deal. But suddenly you could just download songs. I know today we're beyond that now. Now everybody's streaming songs most of the time. But... You would download songs, and then you would have the song, but you would have the song, and you still had to play it. There's a difference between downloading the song and playing the song. When we come to Christ, we get the Holy Spirit. He downloads God's personality, God's seed, the character of Christ, bloop, downloads right into us. But that doesn't mean we've played anything yet. He brings along trials, situations, difficulties, and he says, now play the music. Don't respond like you would have responded. Don't play the old music. Play the new music that you downloaded through the Holy Ghost. Okay, now just to clarify, we're not, we're not, this is a motif. We're not actually talking about music. Okay, people get, people are like, are you touching my music? The Holy Spirit and you can have a conversation about your music. We're talking about the fact that we download the Spirit of God and now he says, play the new music in the trial. And as you play the new music in the trial, you have this opportunity. You have the opportunity to be the new person rather than the old person. You're still the same person, but you're renewed by Jesus Christ. And now you get to play the new music. And here's what God did. Here's what Jesus did at the cross. And it's so wonderful. Here's, he, he gives us this new paradigm. Anytime you're experiencing difficulty, anytime you're experiencing trial, here's what I need you to understand. It is not punishment. It is not punishment. If you've ever wondered, I wonder if I'm being punished. 
This is really hard. I wonder if I'm being punished. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ and trusted him for his forgiveness, you are never being punished because the son of God was punished already. He already was punished. All the punishment you rightly earned was given to him and he gladly took it and paid for it. So you're never being punished. The punishment, boom, it's paid in full, baby. You, you don't have to add to it. You don't need to put a tip on the end. Jesus already paid all the things that needed to be paid. Now punishment, or what would feel like punishment, trial is training. That's what it is. All your hardship is training. That's what's happening there. You're not being punished. You're being trained. You're being given a new opportunity to play the new music. I want to see how this works. It's been working in. Now I want you to work it out. That's what it says in Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what it means. Work it out. You've got the music. Now work it out. Work it out as the things go wrong. And I'm still asking you to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, act like Jesus would act in that very situation. And here's what I got to promise you. It's true of everybody, but at least there's benefit in it for you. Mark 9, 49, everyone's going through a refining fire sooner or later. But you will be well-preserved, protected from the eternal flames. See, there is an ultimate conclusion. If we haven't trusted Jesus Christ, someone has to pay for the punishment. And if we didn't ask Jesus to do it, that means we have to do it. And we don't want to do that. But if you've trusted Christ, that punishment was already poured on Jesus, and now you just get to get eternal and earthly profit from difficulty. Man, that's doggone awesome. No other God even offers that. And here's God offering it to us. Okay, we got that part down? We there? That's the backstory. That's the super context that we're all in. Now we've got to understand parents are an agent of discipline to God's children. Parents are an agent of discipline to God's children. Now we spent the whole message talking about nurturing them, respecting them, making sure that they feel very, very loved. So if you're getting nervous right now, go back and watch that message. Make sure you're getting both sides of the story here. But just like God provides, what does he do? He provides training. He provides difficulty. He provides trial. And he says, now play the new music because I want you to grow up in all things into Christ. I don't want you to stay where you were. I want you to grow up. And now parents, for a limited time, for a short window of time, have the opportunity to be God's agent in providing a version of kid-friendly discipline that will train their hearts toward Jesus Christ. In other words, this is a hard thing, but it is a sign, just as God's, he, he claims in Hebrews chapter 12, that his discipline is actually a sign of his love. He's saying, well, you're my real kid, so I love you, so I'm going to train you in this discipline in the same way, we train our offspring in love by helping them respond appropriately to God's commands. Clarity, it's not respond appropriately to us. It's respond appropriately to God's commands. See, they're on the hook just like we are. They're a creature made in his image, and every creature made in God's image actually is required to, they owe allegiance to the creator. Say it a different way. God has a right to rule us. As the creator, he has a right to rule us. That's not bad. In fact, that's where freedom is. That's where joy is. Even every time we're under authority, we can receive it as they may be 60% right and 40% wrong, but I'm choosing to receive it as training. God is using an authority in my life, whether it's the government, whether it's the police officer, whether it's your manager at work. Any, we're all under authority in some level. And God says, I want you to see that as me training you. They may be right, they may be wrong, but there's always something in it that I'm trying to teach you and train you in. And therefore, it doesn't feel like waste. 
Discipline, when done right, softens the heart. It softens the heart and keeps that creature, that little creature, that baby creature, not a baby, but a little kid, keeps their heart open to God himself. Just like ideally it keeps us open to God himself when we submit to God's, God's wise discipline. So this happens to me from time to time. I don't know if it's ever happened to you. Probably not because you're so spiritual. It wouldn't happen to you. But for me, I'm tempted to get offended at God sometimes. I'm like, God, come on. Why didn't you do that thing I wanted? Or why didn't you save that thing from happening? Or, or what, God? And, and I'm feeling my, this building offense at God. And I've just learned to, in that moment, you got, it's time to start praying. God, I feel the enemy accusing you. Give me the grace to, I know that's wrong, but my feelings are trying to go there. Help me walk in the reality that's stupid. God can do no wrong. Um, I'm just going to trust that this hardship is for my good and for God's glory. That choice to not be offended protects us and keeps our hearts soft toward the Lord. So why is it so hard? Well, here's number one, because kids are cute. I don't know if you notice this. Kids are cute. But I noticed something else. Baby grizzly bears are also cute. Okay. The problem is not their cuteness now. The problem is what happens as they grow if that thing is not dealt with. Here's another reason it's really hard is because we've all seen so many examples of it going wrong. We've seen the bad version. And the, the bad version messes up our understanding of what the good version even is. So let me give you a little sentence here. Never judge a perspective by its perversion. Never judge a perspective by its perversion. Okay, so Nazism and American slavery both claimed to be Christianity. But that's not what Jesus or any of the apostles would have said. No, they were a perversion. They were keeping their favorite things and then twisting them. It was a perversion of Christianity. So you can't judge Jesus by Nazism because it's a perversion. In the same way, let's not judge God's discipline by the way you've seen it perverted. Let's not judge that perspective by its perversion. Let's judge it by what the Bible actually teaches about it. That's how we're going to do it today. And here's, here's a, a lot of our problem. We often, I do this, you probably do this, we, f- we feel our way into thinking rather than think our way into feeling. We start to feel something and we draw conclusions by what we're feeling instead of being able to step back and say, is that really the most reasonable and wise thing for me to feel? Instead, I'm going to work out the math, so to speak, in my head and I'm going to, in, in maturity, try to put my feelings into thinking rightly rather than just respond to our feelings. I'll tell you what, man, there's a false God in, 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 in our world, in this generation. It's called the God of feelings. Feelings are not God. Feelings are helpful sometimes and unhelpful sometimes. But you've got a brain that you know, supersedes over your feelings, and, and God has made that the pilot, so to speak. So um, one more reason, it's because of biblical confusion. It's because so many people, just they don't understand what God's word teaches, and so they listen to all these quote-unquote experts that completely contradict the Bible. And... Here's what I really believe. There's always going to be exceptions to this rule, but um, your grandparents knew that God's ways were the right ways when it comes to discipline. They knew it. Um, the only ones that usually don't know it are people that are totally ignorant of it or they're still too young and they haven't seen the fruit of not disciplining their kids yet. In other words, they haven't seen what that grows up to when they're in their 20s and 30s. And, and of course, there's going to be exceptions, but let's go through God's word because we're going to discover a lot of good truth. Proverbs 17.10, a single rebuke does more for a person of understanding than a hundred lashes on the back of the fool. So l- let's just be clear. When we talk about discipline and reproof, we're not necessarily talking about physical discipline. We are, but there's a version of rebuke for something. All kids are different, okay? People, they have different, you know, makeups, so to speak. And so some, do you just look at them the right way? You know, 
and they crumble, you know, like they, they understand, oh, don't cross mom now because they're so hurt that they, that they disappointed that you don't need to do much more than that. And other ones, yeah, man, they, they are a strong-willed, stubborn thing. And so you're going to have to lovingly stay firm for longer until that heart is shaped. Talks about uh, the back of a fool. Let's remember in the book of Proverbs, the fool is not a dummy. A fool is someone who rebels against God's ways, who says, I bet you I can get around this. I bet you I'm going to be the exception to the rule. They say, I hear what God is saying, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it my way. And Proverbs says, yeah, that's the fool because it will never work out for them. They just, in their own head, think they will. Now, in, in the larger scope of good biblical theology, we need to recognize we're all the fool. Okay? We all, from time to time, try to get around God's ways. And thankfully, you know what? Jesus Christ has become to us wisdom from God. So Jesus Christ is the antidote to our foolishness. He comes in and says, let me just give you my wisdom and we'll make up for some of the foolishness. And I still got you. Somebody say, Jesus got me. The wise are glad to be instructed, but babbling fools fall flat on their faces. A fool's proud talk becomes a rod that beats him. Have you ever seen that happen to somebody? You ever seen a real big mouth and then it just comes back on them? I saw that on a construction crew once, man, this, this kid. Well, I won't tell you about it, but it, was, it, was, it wasn't funny, but it was funny to watch. Anyway, <clears throat> Proverbs twenty two fifteen. a youngster's heart is really important, is filled with foolishness, but physical discipline will drive it away. Something about our fallenness and the fact that we have the virus, a youngster's heart needs trained, not punished, trained into going God's ways. Correction and instruction are the way to life. Proverbs 20, 30, physical punishment cleanses away evil. Such discipline purifies the heart. That's not just for kids, that's for all of us. That's the benefit. When, when we're under the training of God, there's an opportunity for the heart to be purified and to have a pure devotion to him. F- 15, 5, only a fool despises a parent's discipline. Whoever learns from correction is wise. A rod and a reprimand impart wisdom. This is important for later. It imparts wisdom. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Here's something I found out I would encourage you. Next time you're corrected or next time you're undergoing some version of discipline, don't trust your first impression of whether or not that is right. When a boss or somebody or a parent corrects you, there's something in us that will often be like, ah, that's not true. I've had so many occasions where maybe a professor or a manager over me, they brought some, some kind of correction. I'm like, that's not true. That's not what it is. But then upon further reflection in prayer, God was like, well, that's not all true, but you were doing pretty sloppy over here. And this actually is an area that I want you to grow. Don't shuck it off right away. It takes a lot of maturity to say, I'm going to look for, even though I'm offended, even though I'm, I'm, I'm a, I think they're wrong about something, I'm going to look for the opportunity to grow in faith. I know this is a chunky message. Raise your hand out there on the chat if you think it's still helpful. I know it is because we need God's ways. I will keep on obeying your instructions forever and ever. I will walk in freedom for I've devoted myself to your commands. Okay, let's, now we're, <laughs> that was the theology lesson. Now let's jump back into the scripture unit we started last week. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go out well for you and that you may live long in the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. That's what we talked about last week, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here's number one, respectfully discipline. Respectfully discipline. Nuthesia. This is the word. It means training. It means to rebuke. It means to uh, warn. It is telling the child, hey, I'm on the hook for later. You're going to be an adult. 
And so I'm on the hook to keep you going the right way. And a lot of, I, I want, a lot of that I want to do with encouragement, but some of that I'm going to have to challenge you in it. There's been any time, not just us, but one of your children disobeys God's commands. We, we have to understand that is still a violation of the creature-creator relationship. God still sees it as such. And so that's where we have to help them understand you violated God's commands. It's not that you've annoyed me. It's that you've violated God's commands. Denzel Washington uh, was being interviewed by Parade Magazine. And he said when his parents were divorced at the age of 14, his mom right away sent him to a boarding school. And she did it because she wanted to make sure that he stayed away from the wrong things. And he didn't like it. He wrote this. He said, that decision changed my life because I wouldn't have survived in the direction I was going. The guys I was hanging out with at the time, my running buddies, have now done maybe 40 years combined in the penitentiary. They were nice guys, but the streets got them. And he credits his mom's swift action with what got him off the streets. He appreciates now the discipline, the hard training that his mom had to bring as a good mom. It paid off later. God's ways, parents, this is is our job. We need to enforce the idea that God's ways bring freedom. I've I've used this illustration, but it's it's the same way God God made the fish to be in water. Fish is most free. When it's in the water, dude, it can do anything. But as soon as it leaves its domain and goes against the way God structured it and tries to get on land, that fish dies. And it's the same way. Any of God's commands that we try to, ah, maybe I'll be the exception. God says, no, I'm telling you because I don't want you to die. You're most free when you keep obeying God's commands. And every one of us has vice, don't we? I mean, you know what it's like as, as, as an adult. There's probably some areas in your life where you're like, man, I wish I didn't have this, this issue to deal with. I'll tell you what, man, I can think of, many of you know, I've shared my, my wrestling match with lust over the years. And that's not always a real it's not always a real hard thing, but it's always a thing. It's all, my whole life, I'll have to fight that. And I wonder, I'm like, you know, I know people have different struggles. They have different ones that I don't have, and I'm glad I don't have theirs. But sometimes I wonder, man, what would it be like? I mean, how free would I be if I had never, as a kid, let this in? If I had never just, you know, no one was watching, and there was the magazine, and I just went for it. How free would I be? How much more blessing would I have if I hadn't? disbelieved God's warnings and God's commands. Stay in the sea, boy. You don't want anything on land. Proverbs 23, and and here's what it is. It's for us, but it's for our kids. Guard your heart or guard the heart of your child above all else, for it determines the course of your life. God has charged parents with rescuing their kids from death. And it's a big deal. Here's number two, protecting the heart. So we do want to respectfully discipline, but we want to do it in such a way that's life-breathing that's protective of the heart, that you can look at them later and say, look, I didn't do everything right, but I did everything I could do to make you know that I was genuinely affectionate and trying to shepherd you toward the heart of the Savior. It's never that you were bugging me. And we're all going to do this imperfectly. That's the, that's the hard part. God, Hebrews chapter 12 teaches, God is a perfect father, so his discipline is always right. We are imperfect parents, and our Discipline is hopefully mostly right. But there's going to be times something's going on and you just got it wrong. You, just, you didn't understand it the right way or you were too intense or not you know, intentional enough. We're imperfect. And yet God gives us a model. See, when he says, train them in the discipline and training of the Lord, that means not of you, not even what your parents did. Do it the way God does it with you. 
Do it the way God does it with you. Deuteronomy 8.5. Know also in your minds and hearts that as a man disciplines and instructs his son, so the Lord your God disciplines and instructs you. God says, if you're paying attention, you're paying attention to my training program, you'll notice some things about God. He's incredibly patient. Have you noticed this? He's redonkulously loving. He just bears with and bears with and bears with. He's always gentle. He's never like kind of mean with the way he says something. He never's like, God never does it. There's probably been three times in 25 years of walking with Jesus when he's talked more intensely to me, but it wasn't because he was annoyed. It was more of a warning. It was like, son, careful there who you're talking to. And that was as intense as it got. But it was never like, I'm so annoyed with you, Carter. That's not how God parents. And it's not how we're supposed to parent. If we're getting annoyed, that's a sign that we need to back off and cool off. God is always loving and always patient. And so to keep our kids out of danger, I want to show you the circle of safety. It's going to look maybe a little silly to you, but let's see this on the screen. Okay, on your left, that's the circle of safety. That's where the kid, they're in this place of they're obeying God's commandments and they're honoring their parent as one of God's commandments and they're safe. God is, they're, they're inheriting the promise right then. God is saying, hey, I'm going to give them a long life. I'm going to bless them. They're in a place that I'm going to keep a lot of parasites out of their life to latch onto them, which would suck them dry later. But as they step into disobedience, they get into the danger zone. They're stepping outside of the circle of safety. They're embracing hardship. They're embracing difficulty. They're casting their own future, and it's not as good as the one that it would have been in the circle of safety. And so what the parent does is lovingly, is say, I'm going to gently and lovingly help you get back into the circle of safety. That is the motive. That is the agenda. It's not to punish. It's to train and to keep inheriting the promise. Somebody who believes God's truth is really worthwhile. Raise your hand. Yeah, because it is. That's our job. And we have to use reproof and we have to use the rod sometimes of correction. Now, we're going to talk very specifically about a way you can do that. It's the way we've done it at the Carter Home. It's not the only way, but it's a way that I want to share with you. First, let me give you this quote by Ted Tripp. It says, The rod is a parent in faith toward God and faithfulness toward his or her children, undertaking the responsibility of careful, timely, measured, and controlled use of physical punishments to underscore the importance of obeying God, thus rescuing the child from continuing in his foolishness until death. Okay, so let's set the stage. Hello, water. Thank you, Jesus. That's just, a cup runs over. Dude, that just appeared right there. At least to me. I know you knew it was there. Set the stage. So in the home, it's a home where the context is very loving. It's very gracious. It's very, it's, it's okay to make mistakes. Everybody doesn't do everything right, and that's just fine and dandy. There's a lot of upbuilding. There's a lot of positive reinforcement. There's 20 things said positive before anything is said negative because we know the negative is stickier, so we want to make sure we balance that out. So the kid is very assured of, I'm very loved and appreciated and valued in this home. That is how we're starting. Now, parents, I'm just going to shoot real straight. For those of you who have kids who spend a lot of the day in another environment that has a lot of death speaking, you're just going to have to work twice as hard. Okay? So if your kids go to a public school or some kind of school where there's a lot of just a lot of lures from the enemy, a lot of different cultures going on, that's not bad. And man, don't, let me, don't hear me imputing that because more than anything, we need teachers in that environment that are filled with the Spirit of God. But for you as a parent, that means you're going to have to work twice as hard to reinforce that culture of grace, perspective, compassion. That's what's going on first. 
Then let's say there's a breach. Okay, so we're going to use some, some real-life examples in the Carter home from long ago. Let's say one sister punches another sister. Okay? Let's say that happens. And there's, we already know that that's not good. Okay? What's going to happen is because that's a, that's a spanking-level breach, here's what's going to happen. Okay, well, honey, you chose to punch your sister. And you know God's word commands that we let our gentleness be made known to everybody. Violence is not Jesus' way. So let's hold hands and let's go up to the bedroom. A couple things are happening right now. One, there's still physical contact, okay? And it, we're doing this together. I'm not just going to layer down right there in front of everybody and spank her, okay? That's not how we're going to do it because that's embarrassing. That's robbing the dignity. And hear this, protect the dignity of the kid, okay? So we take, we take them, we go, up, we go up to the bedroom and we have a little conversation right there. Hey, um, God has commanded that daddy bring discipline in order to prosper your life and impart wisdom. As you submit to that, you're growing in wisdom and God will bless you. He wants you to have a long life living fruitfully in the land. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to give you two swats on the butt. If you resist, that's going to increase the number of swats. Okay? And we do that very intentionally because there's a submission in that. There's a, okay, I am a thing under authority. I'm submitting to my authority and I'm just taking it. And so then, okay, so just, just real specific. We don't do it through diapers and we don't do it through jeans because they're not going to feel that very much. If they don't feel it, then it's a wasted exercise. Okay, so then it's one, two, and it's enough to bring tears. You know, they're doing this, okay? And then we hug. We just sit there for a couple minutes. And we're doing that because I want them to remember, daddy loves you and mommy loves you and we are on your team. We're trying to operate by God's wisdom. And, and, and we'll tell them right there, you did a great job right there. That was really good. And then we pray. We say, Jesus, we're sorry for betraying you. We ask for your forgiveness. And we think, we believe right now that you're imparting wisdom to this child. And they are growing in godliness and fruitfulness in the future. And as we pray, there might just be like, hey, you know, all right, let's go downstairs. It's, it's just over. It's just over. Let's just go down. Or there might even be a high five or, hey, you did really well. But before we go, there's going to be some time of, we just call it prophesying to them. And we're going to speak life over them. Say stuff like, here's what I love. I know that you're a good kid. And yeah, you fell a little bit here, but you're always kicking butt in so many ways. You're just going to keep right on progressing. You're going to overcome this wall. I'm so proud of you. God is so proud of you. You're going to make it. God's got great things for you. Can you think through what this is like now? Okay. They've been humbled. We're hugging. Their heart is drawn and softened to their father in that moment. They've received it in submission, so their heart is right. And then their daddy, who brought a little bit of pain temporarily, is now prophesying all the awesomeness that they're going to be and become as they go through this. I'm sus- suspecting that if you've got a negative view of spanking, it wasn't that view. That wasn't what you were imagining. You don't have to do it that way. I'm just telling you, that's a way we found that protects the dignity and disciples the kid all at the same time. Let's talk about a couple of objections here first, real quick. One, um, this isn't a time to get revenge, okay? So if, if you're still angsty or annoyed, you don't even do it yet. You come back later after you've asked the Holy Spirit to fill you. You don't do it for childishness. Childishness is when they're just acting like a kid. They're not actually sinning, okay? So in other words, you call them, hey, it's time to come to the table, and they, they actually don't hear you because they're with their friends, And you're like, well, you didn't listen to dad, so now you're going to get, you know, discipline or whatever. That wasn't really sin. You're not authorized to bring discipline on that because they're just a kid and they were loud and they didn't hear you. 
that's different when they, they look at you in the face and say, get over yourself or something like that. Okay. Yeah, that was defiance. That's the difference. Childish, childishness, defiance. Defiance, it says, I will not be ruled by the delegate authority over me. That, God says, is wrong. That's where you lovingly bring God's discipline. Now, some would say, well, Carter, I do that, but it never works. Here, here, I'm not, I don't know your situation, but let me just give you a thing. I've watched and walked with parents for a long time. I've got five kids of my own. Let me just take some guesses, okay? Often when people say the spanking isn't working, um, they're not consistent enough. They try it like every eighth time. Yeah, it's not going to work then. Okay, because every time the kid is gambling, you're not going to do anything. They're pretty convinced, man, if I get one out of eight, that's pretty good. I can enjoy seven, you know, sprees of sin. That's just fine. Um, Some say, I'm afraid I'm teaching my kid to hit. Just to give you something to think about with regard to that. Your kid is really smart, and your kid understands things like context. Now, if you make it a habit of going to Target and hauling off and punching people out of nowhere, you are hitting, you're teaching them to hit. Yes, that is teaching them to hit. But they understand that if it's a response to something that they did wrong and it's in a loving context, what you're teaching them is to lovingly discipline their kids, passing on the blessing to future generations. I would just encourage you, I'm meddling now, I would just challenge you, you don't have to do this, this is not gospel, but I would challenge you, even when you count, you're a little bit reinforcing disobedience. You're saying, it's okay to procrastinate obedience to mom and dad for X number of counts. (laughs) It's not okay. No, it's the first time. But you might want to give them a heads up. So in other words, say, come to the table right now. You didn't come. You're you're getting a hand slap. No, that's not what it is. You give them an emotional heads up. So you say, hey, in five minutes, I'm calling you in from playing ball. I just want you to emotionally get ready to be done with the game so that you're, so there's not a fight of your will against me unnecessarily. And then we don't do it in anger but we do it in a way that is enough to hurt, okay? It's got to hurt a little bit. Listen to this, Proverbs 23, 13. Don't fail to discipline your children. They won't die if you spank them. It's a good promise. Claiming this promise, Lord, they will not die if I spank them. Uh, 14, physical discipline may well save them from death. Hey, um, someone said, my kid, they just, spanking doesn't hurt them. I got to plead with you, gentle mama. If they stub their toe, they're going to lose their mind crying, okay? Clearly, they can feel pain. If they're not crying, you did not hurt them, okay? That's just how it goes. Or they're good at faking it like I was, okay? So you just got to pay attention to that kind of thing. Parents, there's high stakes for this. There's high stakes for this, man. So triple considered. If you're not convinced, talk to Jesus about it and do the program that he hooks you up with, but take it seriously that part of nurturing is keeping them from the death of evil that would try to come into their life. I want to close with this letter, and then we'll go into a dope worship song. Dear Dad, it's with great regret and sorrow that I'm writing you. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with you and Mom. I've been finding real passion with Joan, and she's so nice. I knew you would not approve of her because of all her piercings, tattoos, her tight motorcycle clothes, and because she's so much older than I am. But it's not only passion, Dad, she's pregnant. Joan says we're going to be very happy. She owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood, enough for the whole winter. We share a dream of having many more children. Don't worry, Dad, I'm 15 years old now, but I know how to take care of myself. Someday I'm sure we'll be back to visit you, and you can get to know your grandchildren, your son, Chad. 
P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at Tommy's house. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than the report card that is in my chest drawer. I love you. Call me when it's safe to come home. For real, in God's great mercy, Jesus Christ has taken the punishment that comes naturally with sin and he's turned it into training. And he wants it for you and me and he wants it for our kids. Let's pray. God, each one of the little ones in our lives, whether kids, grandkids, great-grandkids are so important to you. And it's such a big deal that you've delegated us to represent you on some levels. I pray for every parent, especially those that might be discouraged right now of what hasn't gone right. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for grace. There's grace every morning to start again and start fresh. Oh God, would you send your spirit of wisdom and impart wisdom Pray for all of our trials right now as we go through it humbly. Impart wisdom like you said you would. Impart wisdom into our kids. We trust that you're going to. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible-preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being His witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development-related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.